Well, today we come to Genesis chapter 31. So let's open our Bibles up there. Genesis 31. And if you weren't with us last week uh, or if you didn't hear this teaching, I recommend you go back and listen to chapter 30 because it kind of plays right on into chapter 31 here. But I'm not going to go back and do a review of chapter 30. I'm just going to go ahead and jump right on into chapter 31 here. But again, if you, if you didn't hear this, if you're listening, you can go back and listen to chapter 30. But it says, uh, verse 1, Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has acquired all his, all his wealth, or all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. Okay, so what is it that we see taking place here in verses 1 through 3? Well, we see that Jacob overhears a conversation here, from a conversation of Laban's sons. And these sons of Laban are envious of all that Jacob has acquired. And they come to the conclusion here that Jacob's wealth was really just ill-gotten gain. They felt that Jacob had all that he had as a result of taking it all from their father, Laban. Now, do you remember last week how we talked about the fleshly battle that went on between Rachel and Leah? They had a, a baby war with each other to see who could have the most children and feel the best about themselves and their position in life. And I pointed out to you that at the root of that battle between Rachel and Leah was envy, which led to anger, right? And then the anger led to them making poor decisions in life. Well, we kind of see it again right here. The sons of Laban are gossiping. They're backbiting. And this is all a result of envy or jealousy, right? They don't like how much Jacob has gained from a wealth standpoint here. And this again gives us the opportunity to think about our own behavior in certain circumstances. This is how I like to study the Word of God. I like to read it like this and kind of pick out how it can be applicable to me personally and what it can speak to me and how I can learn from it and grow from it. And I'm going to take some time here to show you some verses of Scripture that all of us need to take to heart when it comes to this kind of thing. We did expound a little bit on envy last week, but we didn't look at some of these scriptures we're going to look at this morning here. So mark this page and turn to the New Testament book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. So Philippians chapter 2, and we're just going to read verse 3. It says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Now, 
I'll tell you something here in case you don't all already realize it, but this attitude here, the attitude of not being selfish, not being conceited, but rather humbling yourself and esteeming others as better than yourself, this does not come naturally to us. It's really not the nature of our flesh. But again, as we've talked about in the past, that's why we need to walk in the Spirit so we will not fulfill the lust of our uh, flesh. And, but we have to make an effort, though, in order to live this way, in order to live in a humble manner, right? Lowliness of mind, because it doesn't come naturally, but it is the command of God for us. It is how the Word of God, it is how God expects and instructs us to live. And when we esteem others better than ourselves, we will not get into battles of envy and jealousy because we will want what's best for the next guy, for the next girl, right? More than we want what's best for us. And this is the attitude, the nature of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and it's how God wants us to live, right? And if you really put some thought into this, you will come to see that it's really all about trust, right? It's all about your level of faith, trusting in God. Because if you truly believe that God is on the throne, if you truly believe that God has control of your life, then you will know that He is able to supply all of your need, isn't He? And you will trust in that, and you will rest in that. Why would you need to be envious or jealous about the next person when God is your God? When God is on the throne of your life and in control of your life, why do you need to worry about what the next person has or what you get or what you don't get? God's in control. And Jesus said we could trust God in this, didn't he? Did Jesus not tell us to not worry about things, but rather to simply seek God above all else? Seek first the kingdom of God? He told us that, didn't he? So there's no, there's, so there's no need for us to have selfish ambitions in this life. There's no need to, for us to always be looking out for our own good when we're resting in and trusting in our God. Let's look at another verse. Uh, turn toward the back of your Bible and find the book of James. We did look at some scriptures in James last week, but I don't believe we covered this one, but even if we did, it's, we can learn from it again here. James chapter 3. And we're going to start reading down in verse 13. So James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So there's a whole lot said in in those six verses there. So let's break it down. Verse 13 there starts out looking for a wise person. It kind of asks a rhetorical question in a sense. Are you wise? Well, if you are wise, then it will show 
in the way you live. It will show in the things that you do, right? And the things that you do will be done in the meekness of wisdom, as it says there. You see, a wise person is a meek person, right? You won't be considered a wise person if you're envious, if you have selfish ambition and you're self-seeking. And as verse 14 there says, um, if you think that you are on the right track in life, but you have bitter and envy and self-seeking in your heart, well, then you are lying about where you are in life. If you think you're right, if you think you're on the right track, but you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, well, then that's a lie because those that are walking in the truth of the word of God are not living in that way, okay? Verse 15 there tells us that that kind of wisdom is not from above, but rather it's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. And verse 16 tells us that it brings confusion and a lot of other evil things are there as well. So, you know, oftentimes we don't like to think about our actions and our ways and the, the way we do things and all that as, as earthly, sensual, or especially demonic, but yet we have to realize that we can be influenced in that way and we can start living in a way that is a life of selfish ambition where it's all about us and, and we're just thinking about ourselves and what we get out of it and we're not really all that concerned with others. Okay? And we really need to get this here, folks, because if we're really going to live in the way that our Lord wants us to live, um, then the instructions are here for us, right? And in verse 17, kind of the way we should live, the instructions begin, and it tells us that, that God's wisdom is peaceable. It's gentle, willing to yield. That's the biggest one to me right there. That's the, that always stands out to me when I read this verse, willing to yield. In other words, willing to give in and just say, I don't need to get what I want. God's my God. I don't need to fight here. I don't need to, I need to be peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Okay? We are to live in a matter, in a matter that, uh, in a manner, excuse me, where we consider others as better than ourselves. If we do not, then we're not Christ-like. And what, what happens? To a person. You see the, the last word there at the end of verse 17 there, hypocrisy? That's kind of what happens to a large part of Christianity. They get marked as hypocrites because they profess one thing. We profess that we live this word and we, we read this word and we study this word, but yet we go out and we live in a way that's earthly, sensual, demonic, right? There's bitter envy and self-seeking, right? And all that kind of stuff comes into play today even within the body of Christ, unfortunately. I've seen it. Pastors attacking other pastors and such over the silliest of things, acting in a way that to me is like gang members protecting their turf, right? But this kind of behavior, it's nothing more than hypocrisy. That's why much of Christianity can be labeled as hypocrites because we really don't take the heart, the Word of God, and begin to live it, right? So we... So we as individuals cannot be, we cannot let our hearts become like this. We need to take to heart what we learn here. And we, we must be peaceable people, gentle, willing to yield. People that are full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. I know this, you see, when we, when we study like this and we read these kind of things, oftentimes it hits real close to home to us, doesn't it? 
because we can all fall into this kind of thing. But it's God's word for us, and we need to learn it and learn to obey it and strive to to live in that manner. And back now in Genesis, we've seen bad living on display for a couple of weeks now and a couple of chapters that we've studied, right? Again, last week it was Rachel and Leah. And this week we we get to learn from how the the sons of, of Laban acted. You know, gossiping and backbiting and, oh, he, he only has this because of this. And, oh, if this, 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 and, oh, that, that, that. Well, what's the heart of the matter at that? And when we get like that, what's, our, what's, in, what's in the core of our hearts when we get like that? It's bitter envy, self-seeking, selfish ambition, right? And picking it up now in verse 4 of Genesis 31, it says, So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field, to his flock, and said to them, I see your father's countenance. That, is not, that it is not favorable toward me as before. But the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might, I have served your father. Okay, so Jacob is now going to break this situation down to his wives here. Um, he's used wisdom to see that the situation is not right for him at this point in time. He's observant of his surroundings, and we can learn from this as well. Pay attention to what's going on around you. This is wisdom. And when you're making decisions in life, consider as much information as you possibly can, okay? Should you take this job, for example? Should you take that job? Should you live in this place? Should you live in that place? Should you buy this? Should you sell that? Wisdom can come into play in every aspect of our lives, we can apply wisdom. And God has given us the ability to think and to reason, right? We don't just leave things to chance. And we shouldn't make our decisions based on emotions or based on the influence of others. We shouldn't be allowing other people to influence us. You see, Jacob knows that God was with him. Jacob was seeking God, not seeking man. And that's what wisdom is as well. You don't just allow yourself to be impressionable and be, you know, influenced by others around you. You need to consider all the facts in the matter at hand, whatever it may be. If things are go are, you know, are going well and growing in your life where you are, then use wisdom and stay where you are, right? If circumstances are working against you, consider why they are. Consider what's what's in your heart that may be causing it to be this way. And then consider, well, maybe I need to move on, whatever it may be, right? But in it all, what we must realize is that God is above all. And it needs to be God's will that we seek, not anyone else's will. It needs to be God's will that we seek first and foremost, right? So Jacob here has considered his surroundings and he comes to the conclusion that it's best to move on. So he's letting his wives know what he wants to do here. And in verse seven, he continues. He says, yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages 10 times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. Okay, so one of the circumstances that Jacob considers here in his decision process is that his father-in-law, Laban, does not have his best interests at heart. It would be different if Laban cared about Jacob's well-being, 
But this was not the case in this situation. Jacob in verse eight gives his wives more detail as to what he means about Laban changing his wages or Laban deceiving him. And he says, if he said thus, the speckle shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckle. And if he said thus, the streaks shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. So Jacob is explaining to Rachel and Leah that their father Laban was constantly trying to change the rules. But every time he did, it worked out in Jacob's favor. In Jacob's favor, right? This is how so much of the livestock became Jacob's. But even the sons of Laban didn't see that God's favor was upon Jacob. So they considered him as a thief, someone that just took from their father. But that wasn't the truth, was it? You had to look deeper into the matter, right? Again, you should never pay attention to other people's perception of things, right? Seek your God, okay? If, if I paid attention to other people's perception of me, I would not even be still teaching the Bible today, okay? We must stay focused on our God and on our God alone, and He will guide us through this life. We use wisdom based on our circumstances, but above all, we yield to God in our lives above all else. You look at your situation when you're making decisions and you say, this is what's before me, this is what's here, this is what's there, but God, what do you want me to do? And we seek God above all else, right? We must keep in mind though that there's a grand plan of God's that we're reading about and we've read about it thus far in Genesis, right? God was raising up a people group here and this people group would be his own special people who ultimately he would bring the Messiah through. Those people are the Israelites and Jacob will be the one from whom these people will descend, right? God's not using me and you in that same way today, but he does still desire to work out his will in our lives as individuals. We can read that throughout his word. So we really can't put ourselves exactly in Jacob's shoes here, but again, we can learn from all that is written in the scriptures. So Jacob continues to talk to his wives here, and then in verse 10 he says, and it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob, and he said, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift your eyes and now see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled and gray spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. Oh, so, so now Jacob and you and I, we get some insight here as to how, as to just how Jacob was so successful in life. How was he so successful with this livestock? Well, God was paying attention to all that Laban was doing to, to Jacob. Laban wasn't de dealing fairly with Jacob and God knew it. So God's favor was upon Jacob and his livestock. And that's all that matters in this life for you and me today. We should strive to live lives that are pleasing to God and he will take care of us in it all. 
Again, maybe circumstances are good for you where you are, and maybe at times circumstances change for the worse, but never lose sight of the fact that God is watching over us all as he was with Jacob here. Let me show you a couple more verses from Scripture. Turn again, mark this page, turn again toward the back of your Bible and find the book of Hebrews. I should have had you mark that when we were at James, but Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, and let's look down at verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So pause right there, because here again we see that our Lord God is with us. He cares about our lives. We don't need to covet what others have. We don't need to have selfish ambitions. Instead, we need to be content. You see, sometimes you just need to stay right where you are and consider that God has you there for a purpose and a reason, and he's working something out in your life. Maybe it's not what you want from an external standpoint, but you must consider if where you are is where you are growing spiritually because that's what really matters. It's not the physical things around us. It's not, it's not always about the amount of money we make or this, that, or the other thing, right? It's how are we growing spiritually? And God may have us in a certain place and in a certain circumstance where we are growing spiritually, Right? Remember, it's not our thoughts. Our thoughts are are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways, right? Maybe it's best for you at this present time where you are, right? And it's maybe it's best for your future as well. See, what I'm trying to do is to portray to you as much of a life applicable you know, teaching as I can this morning that we can apply. And of course, I can't come up with all the examples of each one of our lives, but we can look at the word of God and see how we can apply it to our lives, right? Only you can fill in the blanks of your own life as to how these things pertain to you individually. But I just want you to see that wisdom works hand in hand with God's plan. That's what wisdom does is it yields to God right? Sometimes it's time to move. Other times it's time to just stay still. And if you ever lack wisdom, we're told in scripture that God doesn't hold back wisdom, that he'll give wisdom to those who ask him. But we need to be a people that diligently seek him, okay? Because there is something that we can rest in. There is something that we can boldly proclaim. And verse six here tells us, just what that is. It says, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So we can rest in that fact right there, can't we? That if God is for us, who can be against us? We can rest in the fact that the Lord is our helper and we don't need to fear. And we don't need to worry about what man can do to us. We don't need to worry about our circumstances. That's why Jesus said, take no thought for tomorrow, right? For sufficient for today are the troubles thereof. 
God knows we have need of things. We can rest in him. But we must get our hearts and we must get our minds to a place in this life where we're living like this, where we're saying, the Lord is my helper. The Lord's the one I seek. He's my guide. He's my all in all. So as we turn back to Genesis chapter 31 now, Jacob is still explaining to his wives the dream that he had. And he says in verse 13, right? I am the God of Bethel, right? This is the angel of God speaking to Jacob. I am the God of Bethel where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Do you remember that? Where the Jacob's ladder came down and he was resting his head on that stone and all of that. He's reminding him of that. I am the God of Bethel because he named that place Bethel at that time. Where you anointed the pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. So remember, now God has a specific plan for Jacob as it relates to a people group that God was raising up. And God wanted this people group to be in a specific area. It was the land that he promised to Abraham, right? If you remember, we studied that. So God's plan was going to now come to fruition here, and there was not going to be any opposition to it. And in verse 14, we will begin to see that Rachel and Leah won't oppose what Jacob's telling them here. They're just going to get on board with the plan. In verse 14, then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there still any portion of inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has, he has sold us and has also, and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really our, ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Okay, so that's an awesome response right there because Jacob has the support of Rachel and Leah and they're yielding to Jacob in this. And it's good that Jacob didn't have have them fighting against him here. They were aware of all that their father was doing and they knew it wasn't right, okay? In Proverbs 13, 22, it tells us that the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. God considered Jacob as the just one here. And Laban was not doing right by Jacob. So Rachel and Leah are right in what they are professing here. It all belongs to them now because God was on their side. Okay. Then Jacob, verse 17, then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels and he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock which he had gained in Padan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Again, remember, Canaan was the land that God had promised to the descendants of Abraham. And Abraham, what did Abraham have to do? Abraham had to leave his homeland. He had to leave the place of his birth and go to the place that God had for him instead. And since this was the land that God had promised to his people, Jacob was in the wrong place and Jacob had to get back to where God had led Abraham to that land of Canaan, right? It didn't matter that Padan Aram was the home of his wives and the home of his children. All that mattered was where God needed him to be. For you and me, that's all that matters for us as well. 
It's not what we want. It's not our selfish ambitions, right? It's what God wants for us. But now we see that Rachel and Leah are on board with, with his plan here. And verse 19 continues and said, Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban, the Syrian. Now that word stole away just means he left secretly, right? Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban, the Syrian, and that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. Okay, so Jacob is doing what he's supposed to do. But Rachel decides she's going to steal the idols from her father's house. Remember, Rachel can get feisty, right? We saw that in last week's study. Um, She's already proclaimed something here that her father deserves nothing. He was a cheat. He was a liar. And it was all about what was right for him. Laban was an example of selfish ambition, right? He stuck it to Jacob on a couple of occasions. This was just the kind of guy that he was. Rachel was on her husband's side, though. And she knew her father was a snake of a man. She took the things that were dear to him his idols here. But Jacob had a head start here because he was able to get away with all that was his and get on down the road. And then verse 22 says, and Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days journey. And he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban, the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. So again, if God is for us, who can be against us? God told Laban in a dream here not to mess with Jacob. And fortunately for Laban, he listened to God. And we'll see that here. Verse 25, so Laban overtook overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? Okay, so pause briefly right there because what Laban says here is not true. No one was forcefully taken away, okay? Rachel and Leah were on Jacob's side. They went on their own volition. Again, they knew the truth about their father and that he was not a good man, that he was not doing what was right. Verse 27, why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs and timbrel and harp. Now, how many of us really believe what Laban says there, right? He's already broken his promise to Jacob several times. Again, he's a cheat. He's a liar. And, you know, he's a man that simply looks out for his own interests. He wouldn't have thrown a party for them. He would have most likely just tried to trick them again. This was his character. As Jesus told us, a tree is known by its fruit. If you deal with people in this life that never do what they say, they are not people that have good morals then you should do whatever you can to stay away from that kind of person, those kind of people. 
I've worked with people in this world and I've worked with people in the ministry that I've had to make a choice to get away from them at all costs and stay away from them until I see that they're producing good fruits in their lives. That's wisdom. You have to consider your circumstances. Look around and see what's happening. See the way people truly are. And some people need to be avoided and you need to stay away from them. So Laban continues in verse 28. And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in so doing. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. Well, so at least Laban has a little sense about himself here, doesn't he, right? He obeys God, the God of Abraham and Isaac, and he doesn't mess with Jacob. But I can't help but to think of Jesus here when Jesus was before Pontius Pilate. Pilate made a statement like this, indicating that he had the power to crucify or to release Jesus. And Jesus answered Pilate and said, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. And I think that the same held true here with this circumstance with Jacob and Laban. Laban had no power over Jacob because God had a grand plan in the life of Jacob. But Laban continues in verse 30 and says, and now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house, but why did you steal my God's? Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid for I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. With whomever you find your gods, do not let him live. In the presence of your brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tent, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel's saddle, and sat on them, and Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. Okay, so this is pretty self-explanatory right here. Rachel has this saddle, probably just a pile of blankets of some sort, and she has hidden the idols under them, and she's sitting on them in the tent. But Laban is pretty serious here about finding these idols. So he's doing a pretty thorough search. Verse 35, and she said to her father, let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you for the manner of women is with me. And he searched, but did not find the household idols. So Rachel uses a pretty good excuse here as to why she can't get up off of these blankets that she's sitting on. And I'm sure that after Laban heard her excuse, he didn't want to touch those blankets anyway, right? It's that time of the month for her, she's saying, and this is why I'm sitting on all of this. I can't get up, okay? But Laban doesn't find anything, and Jacob knows that he didn't steal anything. So Jacob is truly ignorant to what Rachel has done here. Then verse 36 says, 
Then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren that they may judge between us both. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beast I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was in the day the drought consumed me and the frost by night and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house 20 years. I have served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock and you have changed my wages 10 times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Okay, so Jacob goes off on Laban there, right? But Jacob was speaking the truth. Laban wasn't going to help Jacob in any way. Again, he wasn't going to throw him a party, right? That's not the kind of man that he was. Jacob had to get away from this man at all costs. And Jacob knew that it was God that had protected him. It was God that had prospered him. He gave all he could to Laban. He served Laban faithfully, but Laban was a man of selfish ambitions. The kind of man, the kind of woman today that we should never be and the kind of people that we should avoid, right? In the way that Jacob worked for Laban, it displayed that he considered Laban as better than himself, right? I'll remind you of the verse we read in Philippians earlier. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And this is what Jacob did in serving Laban for all those years, but it's not what he got in return though, right? Jacob treated Laban right, and he knew that he did. But in this world, again, others do not always treat you in the same way that you treat them. You may serve someone for years, and they'll still end up stabbing you in the back. It's just the way of the flesh, the way that it is. But who do we trust in? We trust in God. And God is greater than any man. And we can boldly profess, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Because the Lord is my helper. So God is greater than anyone and everything and every circumstance that we will ever face in this life. He is above all and we can rest in him and trust in him. So after Jacob lays it all out to Laban, in verse 43 it says, and Laban answered and said to Jacob, these daughters are my daughters and these children are my children and this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. Look at his attitude there, right? My, 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 right? But what can I do this day to these, my daughters, or to their children whom they have born? So again, Laban still thinks it's all his, but at least he's wise enough to know he can't fight against God. What's he gonna do? There's nothing he can do. So he throws in the towel. 
Verse 44, now therefore come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap and they ate there on the heap. Laban called it Jager Sahudath and Jacob called it Galid. Okay, now both these names meant the same exact things. They both mean the heap of witness. Laban gives it an Aramic name and Jacob gives it a Hebrew name here. But they were just basically, what's happening is they're just basically, again, Laban's come to the conclusion there's nothing he can do. He still has his selfish attitude, but he can't fight against it. So they're just coming to an agreement with one another here. And verse 48, and Laban said, this heap is a, is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was Galid. Also, also Mizpah, because he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. If you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives beside my daughters, although no man is with us, see God is my witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, here is this heap and here is this pillar which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. Okay, so there you see what the agreement was all about. They were agreeing that neither one would do harm to the other, okay? It was a peace treaty in a sense, right? Laban still thinks he's lost what was his, but we know the truth because we've read the whole story here, right? And that is is that God was for Jacob and Laban didn't treat him well. Laban was agreeing here though that, you know, what Jacob had belonged to Jacob and he was simply um, settling on the fact that they needed to go their separate ways, okay, and not do each other harm. Again, he, he says, you know, I still think all this is mine, but let's just go our separate ways. We're not going to do each other harm. And in verse 53, we get clarity here as to what, you know, Laban was referring to, which God, I should say, that Laban was referring to, because in verse 53, the God of Abraham, he says, the God of Nahor, And the God of their father judged between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father, Isaac. So this is an interesting verse to think about because we know who the God of Abraham ultimately was. But there was a time when Abraham and his brother Nahor, who's mentioned here, when they lived with their father, they served other gods. You can read about that in Joshua chapter 24, before Abraham went out, before Abraham obeyed the voice of God to go where God had told him to go, he lived on the other side of the river, it tells us in Joshua chapter 24, and on the other side of the river, it says they served other gods. So Laban here, who was so concerned about his idols, um, is most likely not referring to the God of Isaac and Jacob. So Jacob makes sure to swear this oath before the one true God, the God of his father, Isaac, at the end of verse 53 there, you see that. And then in verse 54 here, Jacob will sacrifice 
to the one true God. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. So Laban knew that there was not a battle to be won here. So he just made peace with Jacob and he moved on. But once again, there's a lot to learn from the pages of scripture, isn't there? And I hope that we all take to heart the things that we talked about today because it's all right here in the word of God. There is a way that we are to live and a way that we are to conduct our lives. We are not to be people of selfish ambition, but rather people of complete submission, where we're seeking God with all of our hearts. It's not about us. It's all about him. It's not about our will be done. It's all about his will be done. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, when they asked him to teach us to pray, that was one of the things he said, right? That was what it was all about. Not my will, but your will be done, O God. And that's what a people of complete submission and people that are completely surrendered to the will of God will do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the pages of Scripture, the words that are within the pages of Scripture, the living word that cuts deep to our hearts, Lord, that lets us see the reality, Lord, of what you desire and what we desire, and often those things conflict with one another. But God, from your word, we can gain wisdom on how to live. We can gain guidance and direction in this life. But Lord, you call us to be strangers and pilgrims in this world, people that are just passing through, Lord, people that seek you above all else, Lord, and your will for our lives, Lord. So as we study your word, Lord, our eyes get opened to even the nature of our own flesh, our own carnal ways that we stumble over sometimes, Lord. And I just pray for all of us, Lord, that we would just yield more and more, Lord, that we would be a peaceable people, a gentle people, willing to yield, Lord, and that your will would be done in our lives, Lord, that you would just continue to mold and to shape us, Lord, and to the men and to the women that you desire for us to be, Lord, because this life is just temporary at best. We're just passing through. And one day we will be with you. And But for the time being, Lord, you have not left us here comfortless and alone. We can boldly proclaim that the Lord is our helper because you are with us always, Lord and you will never leave us nor forsake us. So we thank you for your spirit at work within our hearts and minds. We thank you for your spirit teaching us here this day. We pray, Lord, as we go forth into a new week, Lord, that we will do so with our eyes fixed on you. We pray all these things in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.